Well, friends, good morning. It is good. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Good morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online as well. Um, if you are joining us online, you might not be able to hear the, uh, the warm, friendly buzz uh, of chatter this morning. It's, it's nice to be in a place uh, where there is heat and walls as the weather turns chilly. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here at Pleasant Street. Um, on behalf of all of us as a church, welcome uh, to those of you who are with us today, whether for the first time or because you're with us every week. When we worship together, as we do each Sunday, we use a liturgy which holds the things that we're going to sing and say together. You can also see those words and follow the lyrics on the screens, which will be reflected on your screen at home as well. Um, friends, as we are getting started, last week we had a wonderful opportunity to connect with our missionaries, and during this season, uh, our Faith Promise team is inviting us that this is an opportunity to be thinking about how we can continue our support for missionaries in the coming year. Uh, if you have questions about that, please do see uh, one of our church leaders or talk to the Faith Promise team if you'd like to know more. Uh, but today, after worship, we are continuing our, to deepen our understanding of the things that we are singing and saying together when we meet God through gospel formation. And so after worship, please do join us for fellowship in the fellowship hall, followed by a chance to gather uh, with your coffee and gather for a sermon discussion. And our through, through fifth graders will have a, uh, our, our Kid Street kids will have a chance to go back downstairs and do some catechism learning together. Uh, so friends, that being said, would you please rise in body or in spirit? Let's take a moment. Let's quiet our hearts. Please join me in this opening prayer. Oh God, silence all voices within our minds but your own. Help us to seek and to be able to follow your will. May our prayers be joined with those of our sisters and brothers in the face, that together we may glorify your name and enjoy your fellowship forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. All, all the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. Sing praises to your name. Let's sing.
God's people said. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So I have shared many stories with you, stories that I hope and pray have helped you become closer to God, to understand why we bring our confessions before the Lord. And I have one more story for you today. Please meet Stash. You can see his little mustache. Stash was born a barn cat. Now, thanks to Callie, our barn cats do have pretty good lives. They have daily food, they have space to roam, they have moderate heat in the winter, etc. But they are still barn cats. Stash, however, was adopted. Stash was adopted by my mother-in-law, Grandma Joanne. He has been taken in, he has been loved on, he receives treats and toys, he is taken to the vet. Not that he likes that very much, but he still is taken care of. He plays hide and seek with Grandma every morning, and he has the light left on for him when he goes out on the porch. Stash is well cared for. Stash is happy and loved. Stash is also naughty. Stash has scratched up and ruined Grandma's furniture. Stash tears at and he chews her plants. Stash scratches Grandma's skin and her clothes. Stash leaves dead gifts, uh, gifts of dead mice right in the middle of the living room floor. Thankfully, Stash has learned not to jump on the table. Stash can be naughty, but yet, and here's the thing, when I called my mother-in-law, when I called Grandma to say, hey, can, I'm going to talk about Stash at church. Can you tell me some more stories about Stash? Guess what? She said, oh, the cat. And she started laughing and chuckling about all of his antics. She laughingly told about his gift of the mouse on the floor. She told about all his crazy running around, sometimes we call them the zoomies. And you know what? When, she, when we talked about all those things, she said, yeah, but... And you know that she still loved him, right? Despite all of his naughtiness, he brightens up her day, and she is so glad to have him around. Even when she had to teach him not to jump on the table, Grandma still loved him. She delights in him. A couple months ago, Stash, or Grandma couldn't find Stash anywhere, and she was very, very worried. So much so that she called over to our house, and my girls had to run over and try to look everywhere for Stash. They looked high and low. They called for him. They could not find him anywhere. Grandma was really worried. They searched everywhere. They finally found him stuck in a room with the door closed. How that happened, we do not know, but thankfully Stash was found. Everyone was glad to have found him, especially Grandma. Now, I've often thought that when I think about Stash, it reminds me of how we are with God and our relationship with him. 
We really are like those barn cats. We have no right to be adopted and to live in a nice house, God's house, but yet he has adopted us and he delights in us. We mess up his world. We scratch up his things. Yet God is still patient and loving toward us. He patiently teaches us the right things we should do, and he corrects us when we are wrong. We run off on our own, and we get lost. But he comes calling and searching for us. He loves us. He delights in us. And so, friends, this is why now we can come before our loving Father. We can admit and confess what we have done wrong, and we can ask for his forgiveness. Would you join me now in a prayer of confession? Awesome and compassionate God, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding, and you have set us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yet we have strayed from your way. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed through what we have done and what we have left undone. You constantly call us, but we do not listen. You ask us to love, but we walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. Forgive us, we pray. Let's take a few moments of silent confession. God of grace, as you come to us in mercy, we repent in spirit and in truth, admit our sin, and gratefully receive your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, hear these words of assurance that come from the, the prophet Isaiah to us. Actually, they're from God through the prophet Isaiah to us. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. In other words, God says, yeah, but I still love you. And we say together, thanks be to God. Let's rise again in body or in spirit and respond to our loving God by singing How Marvelous. And amazed in the
indeed how marvelous and wonderful. Friends and family here at Pleasant Street, the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Now, as I've often done in the past, I'm going to ask you all to do a 180, because we know there are people watching from home. Some of our, um, what do we call them, snowbirds, I think have already flown south, so hopefully there are some somewhere south or southwest who are watching. Greetings this morning. Come on, you can make noise, more noise than that. <laughs> Please take a moment to greet each other this morning. Peace to love and serve Jesus. I'm sure I've said this before, but I always love that sound when they're starting to interact with each other and heading down those stairs. It's fun, fun time, fun sound. So good morning again to everyone. Uh, my name's Steve. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and uh, it's my privilege to join you in prayer this morning. Our prayer this morning is focused on our call in the scriptures to praise the Lord. We've done a lot of that this morning already. In Psalm 134, verse 2, it says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. So as, as Becky has often encouraged us, I too will say this morning, if you're comfortable doing so, I invite you to lift your hands in praise as we pray. And I'll add, even if you're still a bit uncomfortable, I encourage you to give it a try. That's how I began holding my hand up, because I certainly wasn't comfortable. And often I'm still not comfortable. But I find it a personal, physical way of opening myself up to the Lord. So I encourage you to do that as we pray. Would you join me? 
Father, we are so grateful that you've brought us here this morning for another day to worship and celebrate your goodness to us. We see and experience your majesty in the crisp air, brightness of the sun, and the splendid color of this autumn morning. What a gift that even as we move from the warmth of summer towards the cold of winter, you give us this incredible splash of cool, refreshing air and the full breadth of your creation's color. That gift, your creation, the gift of the many gathered around us right now and the gift of your grace, give us cause to respond in praise and worship to you. We're called in the Psalms to praise the Lord. Here's how Psalm 148 urges all of creation to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord, you creatures of the oceans, wind and weather, mountains and hills, animals and birds, all people, young and old. Let them all praise the name of the Lord. We, God's people, are encouraged further in Psalm 150, which we just used in our opening song this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. We're doing that this morning. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. This morning, Lord, as we now go to your word, may we open our ears to hear from you and continue to lift our eyes, our hands, and our voices to you in praise. In joyous expectation of what you will do. Amen. Good morning. The reading this morning is from Jonah 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give, give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. 
a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, good morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, a moment ago, we took a risk and opened our hands, which is a posture of receiving. Sitting here this morning, we remember together that we have no claim on you. We come with our hands empty. And having opened them, we ask, O oh God, that you would fill them. We ask for something we cannot make ourselves. We ask for something we cannot find on our own. We ask for good news. We ask for you. And in faith, we believe that when we sit together around these words, you show up. And so we ask that you would do that now. For with you comes everything that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. People go to the city for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they're taking a show, eat a fine meal, to study, to explore, to learn. Jonah goes to convict the city of its sin. 
God gives Jonah a mission, which we've been talking about together this fall, to go to Nineveh and to confront them with a warning about God's wrath that's coming on the way that they treat each other. And when God sends Jonah to Nineveh, God sends him with only this one thing, this one sentence about the wrath of God for a city that's well-trained in the art of violence. Nations send armies of soldiers or highly trained diplomats or armadas of foreign aid when they have something that they want to get done in a hostile place. God sends a single guy with a sentence. (laughs) And the sentence is this. In 40 days, God is going to destroy everything and everyone within the walls of this city. Now, Nineveh is a great city, and that means that it's big, but it also means that it's important. We've been over this before. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrian Empire has a reputation for being famously cruel and violent. In fact, that's where their power comes from. They boast about, they're proud of their brutality. And Nineveh being the capital is like the pinnacle of all that. And that's where Jonah goes, carrying a message. Now, if Jonah is going to do this job correctly, it should take him three days to proclaim this message. It should take three days for him to give the message to each and every kind of public space in each and every neighborhood within the city. Jonah spends one day. And he doesn't say much. Of 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Five words in Hebrew, eight words in English. This is all Jonah says. The five words of God's wrath. Jonah barely does his job. I mean, he does not give them anything about the character of God. He does not elaborate why they should care. He does not try to endear himself to his audience. He just says in 40 days, God is going to turn everything over, upside down, inside out, turn over, start over, start again. Five words about God's wrath. But look at what happens. This message spreads. Jonah doesn't spread it. It spreads all by itself. It's carried from person to person, from family to family, from household to household, all throughout Nineveh. From the least person to the greatest person, from one end to the other, the whole city is is like it's consumed by this message. Like a spark that jumps a campfire in a dry forest. The spark is all that it takes to ignite the city. But the message doesn't destroy Nineveh. The message of God's fiery justice, of God's coming wrath, does not burn it down. It wakes it up. They pause in the middle of their business as usual. They come to a full stop and they look around. People take on a voluntary fast and everyone, everyone takes off their business as usual clothing The business suit and the athleisure, the Sunday best and the company uniform, it all comes off. They take off 
everything that says life will just keep going on like nothing has happened. And they put on instead sackcloth, the clothes that declare that this is the end of all things and we are out of options. And when the king gets word of what is happening in his city, the king takes it even further. The king gets off his throne and he takes off his robes and he sits in the dirt (laughs) And the voluntary fast becomes a decreed fast, and he, he intensifies it. Did you see that? Not just people, but animals are going to fast too. And not just food, but water as well. Nobody is going to eat or drink anything for 40 days. Do you realize what these five words of God's wrath have shown them? That Nineveh's evil and injustice has infected and contaminated everything. The way that they live as a city and the way that they live individually, their homes and their political structures, their rich and their poor, their food, their water, their animals, their economy, everything is infected. And all of this somehow from five words from Jonah, 40 days and Nineveh will be turned over. Somehow that one sentence has all the power to reveal great misery In the great city. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. This foreigner walks in, he says one sentence, it goes viral. (laughs) How is it that five words about God's wrath can do that? I wonder if it's because Nineveh was already miserable. How, how could the greatest empire the world has ever seen, how could they be miserable, you ask? How can the view from the top be that unpleasant? Read the Hunger Games. You see, that, that story is all about a city that's built its wealth and glory and power on the idea that some people are worth sacrificing. And what is the capital in that story? Fear that one day someone will do it to them. You see, if you use power to dominate your enemies, you will live in constant fear of your enemies doing the same thing to you. And as Katniss Everdeen discovers, that isn't just a habit reflected in the way that the capital treats the districts. It's also how the people of the capital treat each other. Now, we don't really talk so much about the wrath of God anymore. And there are those who would say that we should be talking about it more than ever. But what I would like to suggest to us this morning is that actually we know it better than we realize. We're actually visiting it on each other all the time. Imagine that when you wake up tomorrow morning, your shoulder is dislocated. You wake up in immense pain, but you don't know what a shoulder dislocation, dystocia, is that the right, maybe, I don't know. Um, Maybe you don't know what a shoulder dislocation is, right? But now you have to go about your day. So now make breakfast. Now take the kids to school, go to work, have a casual conversation about your day with your spouse, go to a church meeting at night. Is it any wonder you're not gonna be your best self? 
Now imagine that everyone else in your world also has a dislocated shoulder. How's that meeting at work going to go? How's your family dinner going to play out this evening? Right, but here's the thing. If everyone around us has the same problem that we do, no one is going to recognize it. No one will know anything different. We will think, oh, this is just normal. And the Bible is telling us that our inability not to do what is best for us, our misery stems from the fact that we are in pain. But we do not see the problem because we all have the same problem. What is social media if not a place to unload our pain and get likes for visiting the pain that we have on the others whom we all like to hate? Friends, Jonah is showing us that a culture of canceling people we don't like and my posts about the people we all love to hate stem from the same root that some people deserve to be sacrificed. We just need to be sure we get to them before they get to us. These five words of God's wrath show us what we actually already know, which is that we're miserable. Misery is the result of pain. The Bible shows us in the story of the Bible that the root of all our violence is spiritual dislocation. Right When Adam and Eve ate from the tree way back in Genesis chapter 3, they did the one thing that God told them not to, and the result touched everything that they touched. That's why they couldn't stay in the garden. They were contagious. Right? And when they leave, what happens is that the misery begins to spread wherever they go. And so Cain kills his brother. Why? Because he's jealous. And then at Babel, humanity builds a tower to get to God's doorstep. Why? Because we are jealous of God. And so God looks at the world a little bit later and, and he regrets that he ever made any of it. Because every human heart has been curved in on itself. What the Bible wants to show us is that whether the scale is grand or small, where the misery that we visit on each other, it all stems from the same root. That there is a lie lodged in our heart like a wound, like a bullet. The lie is that God cannot be trusted and we must take matters into our own hands. And in some ways, we live out the consequences of that every day. Friends, Jonah gives a half-hearted attempt to proclaim the message to Nineveh, and somehow that is more than enough, because they are far more ready to hear the message of judgment than Jonah is to give it, because they are already living under it. And if you are already living under judgment, you don't need so many angry words about wrath. What you need to know is that something else could be possible. You need to know what being well looks like. What you need is kindness. There's a story about a young girl who joins a church. She's about seven, and she comes to Sunday school in that congregation regularly. And sometimes her parents let her stay even for the worship service. They don't come, though. 
They drop her off using the circular drive. They don't even get out of the car. Mr. and Mrs. Mom and Dad, they're upwardly mobile and they're ambitious, you see. They had moved from New Jersey with the chemical plant and, and they're throwing these wild parties on Saturday nights. It's an upwardly mobile kind of a thing. And the right people are always invited, one above all the way to the boss, and they throw the wild parties full of drinking and vulgar things, and everybody knows. But there's that beautiful girl every Sunday. One day, the pastor looks out during worship, and there's the girl, and next to the girl are mom and dad. And when the service is over, Mr. and Mrs. Mom and Dad, they come to the front. Something got their attention. They said, do you know about our parties? Yeah, I heard about your parties. Well, we had one last night, and it got a little loud, and it got a little rough. And there was too much drinking. And we waked our daughter, and she came downstairs, and she was on about the third step. And when she saw that we were eating and drinking, she said, oh, can I give the blessing? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Good night, everybody. Within two minutes, the room was empty. Mr. and Mrs. Mom and Dad, empty glasses and hands, met in the kitchen. They look at each other, and they stop. And he says what they're both thinking. Where do we think we're going? Misery is knowing you are going the wrong way. And it doesn't take a lot for people to realize that they aren't headed anywhere good. In Jonah, it is five simple words that break the heart of the city wide open. But they're not angry words. We're not told that Jonah shouts them. Why does it work then? Right? Because the words, though speaking of God's wrath, are actually somehow full of mercy too. Because that's what happens in the prophets. Is that somehow when the prophet speaks the words that God is giving them, it's not just the words that people are hearing, but they are somehow meeting God himself. And so what we need are not always a lot of words. What we need is the presence of God, who is both justice and mercy. You know, there's this interesting little note in Jonah chapter 3 that when they hear the message... The story tells us that they believed God, not they believed the message they heard, because somehow it was God himself whom they were meeting. And what we see in this one little sentence is that tucked away and set of God's absolute judgment is mercy. Hidden inside the condemnation is the cure itself. In fact, God's mercy is hidden all throughout the text of Jonah chapter 3. It's an act of mercy that God sends this man a second time to Nineveh in the first place. This shows how compassionate God is, that he is willing to work with a man who actively tried to avoid all of this all over again. It's a sign of mercy that in Jonah 3 we are told that God loves the city of Nineveh. Who loves the people who we love to hate? God does. God loves them. God loves the enemies who no one likes. They are important to God. And so they are worth telling about. And in that way, God's wrath is an expression of his love. 
C.S. Lewis famously quipped that people are always talking about how they want a loving God, right? Not a judgmental one. No, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, what they want actually is a dotty old man in the sky who doesn't care about anything, right? Anyone who knows love knows that love is jealous. Love does not just let it go when what is being loved is harmed. And so God's wrath is always an expression of God's love. And there is perhaps no greater expression of God's mercy here than in that sentence. Because in that sentence, we learn that God gives Nineveh 40 whole days. It's a wonder that God should warn them at all. But even if he's going to warn them, why should he give them so much time? This is the wonder. This is how marvelous. This is our song that is never ending. This is the gospel. This is the kindness of God, my friends. That God should want so badly for people to see their misery and give it up. And turn to him. What a wonder of mercy hidden right there in the middle of the judgment of God. And as the early church fathers said, what's hidden in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And it's revealed in the story of Jesus. We are the ones who put our hands on him. We are the ones who raise our voices to have him killed. The leaders knew it was always going to be him or us. And then, like Pilate, we try to wash our hands of anything to do with it. And in the story, Jesus is put in excruciating pain, right? But the New Testament doesn't record the details of what happens to Jesus physically. No, what it tells us is that Jesus gives a different sort of a cry. He cries out, God, where are you? I can't find you. I can't hear you. I can't sense you. Do you see what? What it's showing us is that Jesus is not enduring torture, but spiritual dislocation. In that moment, right, where we are deflecting our guilt and blame shifting and mocking and persecuting God himself in a crowd of people crying and jeering and pontificating in all of this misery, Jesus is showing us the root of it all. Actually not showing, he's going there. He is dislocated from God so that we can be what? Set right. So that we can be set right with God. God uses our violence against himself to Set us right with him. God's wrath and mercy are expressed in one another. And when Paul looks at this, in his letters, he calls it the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness. And it is this kindness that was always meant to lead us to make a turn. I confess that in our toxic, noxious, obnoxious culture, I am tempted sometimes to dismiss Paul's sentiment. Kindness, Paul, really? Mercy, really, Paul? I was tempted until I heard Fred Craddock tell a story about his father. You've heard me talk about Fred Craddock before. He's one of my favorite preachers. But what you might not know is that for all of Craddock's prominence as a famous preacher, his father never came to church. One time he told this story about him. He said, my father didn't go to church. My mother took us. 
But once in a while, the pastor came to the house and tried to talk to my father. It made my mother nervous because she knew that my father was capable of talking like a Philistine if he got a little pressure. And sometimes the pastor would bring a guest evangelist by to see my dad. He would introduce my dad, and then he'd say, now sick him, now go on, you get him, get him. And always, always, my father's expressions were the same. I heard it a thousand times. Church doesn't care anything about me. Another name, another pledge. What are you after? Another pledge? What's the matter? Budget a little low? Another name, another pledge. You don't care about me? Another name, another pledge. Thank you, Reverend. I heard him say it a thousand times while my mother wept in the kitchen. One time he didn't say it. My father was in the hospital in Memphis, Veterans Hospital. He'd gone down to 71 pounds, cancer of the throat. Too late, they said. You shouldn't have been smoking, they said. They'd taken out everything, put in a little metal tube. He could put his finger over it and make some noises, but mostly he wrote. I walked into the room having flown in there to see him. In every window when I walked into the room, flowers. By his bed, a stack of cards, 20 inches deep. Even that thing they swing out over your bed to put your food on, fresh flowers. I looked at the cards sprinkled in the flowers. I looked at the cards beside his bed and every one of them, are you listening? Every one from groups or persons in that church. He couldn't speak, so he got a Kleenex box and wrote on the side of it. He wrote on the side of the Kleenex box a line from Hamlet. In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. And I said, I will. And I said, what is it, Dad? And then he wrote, I was wrong. The kindness of God, like the scent of lilies, filling the hospital room that led Craddock's father to say, Three very simple, life-altering words. I was wrong. Which might be the most beautiful thing the kindness of God could ever get a miserable person to say. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, in a world that is talking so much, yours is the one voice that we need to hear. Because with your words comes your very self and your presence. We do not just want to hear what you say. We do not even want to memorize it. We do not want to be convinced that you are real, we want to believe you. 
And so we ask that by your Spirit, which lives within us, empowers us, and takes these words and puts them deeper than we ever thought imaginable, that you would do that. That we might believe you. And so find that we have been given already everything that we need. In your name, amen. So much of our worship life together, week in and week out, is about learning to do what Steve asked us to do, which is to open our hands, to receive. It is the wonder of the gospel that each and every week we find that God has something to give to us. It is so big and so good, we cannot possibly just make sense of it right now. And so, one of the things that we do is we try to take it with us, to turn it over, to talk about it with each other. We are going to do that a little bit later through a sermon discussion, but our third through fifth graders have a chance to do that now by going for an echo uh, discussion to talk about what they're seeing and noticing and experiencing in our worship life together. And so, friends, uh, if, uh, could I have our third through fifth graders uh, come forward? I hope we have some this morning. Hey, guys. We have a blessing for you guys. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard. Plant it deep in our hearts and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. God speaks and we respond. One of the ways that we respond is by lifting our voices in song, which we'll do in a minute, but also by offering up some of what God has given to us through our offering. We're not passing baskets right now, but you can continue to give to the work of our congregation by placing checks in the box on your way in, by giving online, or by dropping them off during the week. Having responded to God together now, friends, I would invite you to please rise and let's sing together. Turn your eyes.
Friends, you may be seated just for a moment. One of the things uh, that you may have sensed or you may have remembered, uh, which we haven't talked about yet, is that today is uh, Becky's final Sunday as our Director of Worship Ministries. And we would be remiss not to take a moment to pause on that, Becky. So give me a second, right? 
So uh, Becky did not want us to make a big deal of this at all, uh, which is right, because Becky is always wanting us to turn our attention upward to God, right? And so we can do that now by turning up to God some of our acknowledgement and thanks for you, but also for Christ in you. So uh, we can say what Becky has meant to us in the presence of God. Becky, that uh, God used you to teach us and to lead us into worship week in and week out, that you taught us to use our gifts and to raise our hands, that you taught us uh, how to praise God not just today but each and every day, that you were our point of continuity in a long season of changing leadership, and that you were our leader into worship when suddenly getting into worship became like getting into a chat room or following a link or getting into Facebook, not just walking through the door. And that through all of these things, you never were really just teaching or leading us into worship, but that you were always modeling to us what a life of worship looks like. And so for all of these things and many, many more, it is right and good for us to say thank you and to say that we know that this has been more than just you, but this has been Christ in you. May God give you rest from your labor. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you for letting me make mistakes. Thank you for allowing me the gift of leading you in worship to the one who is worthy of our worship. Mm -hmm. So to that end, let's sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yeah. 
Brothers and sisters, the God who has gathered us in is the same God who sends us out. Blessing Becky, blessing all of us wherever the week goes. Receive it now, my friends. May you, people of God, know that God, our Father, made you and guides you every step. Jesus Christ gave his life for you and brings you new life. The Spirit keeps you in the Lord's presence and empower you to serve. May Almighty God continue to bless you and move you to give thanks. Amen. Sorry.